Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about how student loan debt forgiveness will affect housing and homeownership. We're also going to talk about the latest lenders to offer HELOC products and some M&A activity we're seeing. James, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah. Always great to have you on. Our newsrooms are so busy um, covering some of the important things. One of the biggest stories this week that'll just, I think, continue to ripple out in in our industry is the action that Biden took to forgive student loan debt up to a certain amount. So, you know, I know that for years we were writing stories about how student loan debt was holding back millennial home buyers or some millennial home buyers. So, tell us about exactly what he did in that executive action. Yeah, so as you mentioned, it is an executive action and so this this is not uh, something he did with congressional approval. There there are no uh, you know, there's no senatorial involvement or or people from the House of Representatives. It is an executive action. And, uh, you know, there are still open questions as to whether it would survive a court challenge. Uh, so I, I don't think people should get, you know, incredibly super excited. You know, there is no guarantee that this is going to happen. But but let's say it does. You know, it 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 could be a very meaningful um, policy action for a lot of people who are maybe on the precipice of homeownership, but just need a little bit more help. You know, if, if you're someone who has, you know, $120,000 in student debt, you know, hey, hey $10,000 in student debt getting wiped out, that helps. That definitely moves the needle a little bit. But that's probably not going to change your situation from someone who's renting and, you know, nowhere near being able to save up for a down payment and, and um, you know, suddenly being able to get a house. Uh, but if you have $15,000, you have 9000 10000 this could be huge. This could really make a big difference. And, uh, you know, we, we have some statistics out there. I, I think it's something like, uh, according to the White House, 45% of borrowers, about 20 million people uh, would have their student debt fully canceled. And, uh, and so the way it's broken down is, the relief would be, uh, I believe it's $10,000 for government-backed loans and up to $20,000 for recipients of Pell Grants, uh, assuming that they're making less than $125,000. And again, so, you know, we, we Connie Kim, uh, the reporter who worked on the story for us, uh, she spoke to a number of experts who are sort of in that space of, you know, uh, kind of like mortgage advisory, I guess. And, uh, you know, they're not necessarily loan officers, but they're people who are um, advising uh, people who are, you know, trying to buy a home and they, they want to know, you know, should I be looking for, uh, you know, a kind of mortgage product that allows me to put like three and a half percent down, right? You know, sort of the, the people out there who are dispelling the myth that everybody needs a 20 percent down, down payment. Um, you know, so she spoke to a lot of folks like that. And she spoke to some loan officers and, and folks in policy. And, and really the consensus was, you know, if if you have student debt, of less than $20,000, and that is currently a barrier to you purchasing a home, um, this this could change you know, your life in a very meaningful way. Um, and especially now, although you know, home prices are, are continue to be elevated, 
they could be falling in some markets. They're they're certainly not rising in um, you know prices as quickly as they had been. So yeah, I, I mean this this could be a very very big deal for I don't know a few million people. I'd say. And you know I. I appreciate your, uh, you know, you saying, well, you know, that might have a court challenge, so people shouldn't appreciate uh, or shouldn't celebrate too soon. If my social feed is any indication, people are absolutely like running with it. It's a done deal and they are super excited about it, understandably, if, if it's something that that affects them. I know that our lead analyst, Logan Motoshami, has said before that most of the people who uh, really, you know, this would make a, a big difference for are people who didn't finish uh, their degree. And so, you know, you really see that, you know, the whole, the whole premise of student debt is like, I'm willing to do this now because what I can get, uh, with that education, the job I can get, the salary I'm going to get over my lifetime, um, in the past has always been like, that's a great calculus. I'm going to spend this much and get this much. But if you spend some of that and don't finish your degree, you've really just kind of dug a hole for yourself in, in a lot of, uh, situations. And so I think that that $10,000 would be especially helpful for people who started school, had to stop for whatever reason. And so they're not getting the benefit of having the degree and a better job, but they still have the student loans. Yeah. And, and you know, college for people of my generation and, and those who are younger, and I'm, I'll be 36 in a few days. So uh, happy birthday to me. Um, you know, college is a requirement if you want to have a decent lifestyle, Unless you're a crypto bro or, you know, you, you come into money in, in some way, you know, there are a few people, of course, who get into trades and stuff like that. And you don't absolutely not 100 percent of the population needs a college degree to do well. But you apply to a job in any sort of professional services field. It's a requirement. The cost of college has exploded. Uh, you know, when I went to college, it was it was starting to get a little bit expensive. And I graduated right around uh, you know, sort of the economic tumult of 0809 and college for me was was about 35 grand a year uh, not including you know living expenses not including rent or anything like that like straight up tuition and you know I have cousins now who go to college and it's literally double that it is double that and so if you're paying 800 900 thousand dollars a month in student debt and you have a job but not a great job you know you're relatively early into your career you're let's say your 20s maybe your early 30s, there's no way you can save money. You just, you cannot make a down payment if you're spending $1,000 um, unless you're in a high-paying field. If you're in, say, tech or, you know, some of the traditional fields like medicine or law or, you know, and, and then you're looking at debt that is, I mean, I, I've got a buddy in New Orleans who's a doctor and he has something like $400,000 in debt, you know, and of course it's going to be paid, right? Like, there are programs um, and, and there are even financing programs, you know, specific mortgage lending programs set up for doctors and people in kind of those professional fields because there's not a lot of risk, right, for the lender. But but yeah, for the, the everyday person who is, say, 30 years old, who did undergrad, maybe even grad school, they have a, a fair amount of debt and um, and it really hinders their ability to save for that down payment. And that down payment, especially when home prices are elevated and sellers have had a lot of other options, you know, that's that's the difference between you getting the house and not. So, um, you know, as Logan says, as, as, as a lot of the people who Connie Kim spoke to for the story said, this is not going to suddenly open the floodgates for home ownership. But people who are on the precipice and you got to figure they're 
maybe a mil, maybe a few million of them at least, right? Um, this could really, really make the difference. Um, so no, especially if you think about um, a double income house household who both had student debt, who just had twenty thousand um, dollars, you know, uh, wiped out of their uh, on the debt column, could be that could that could make some some difference there. I also think that you know the whole idea of so I, I went to school in the dark ages and it was not so expensive and I, I recognize, but then, you know, I have four kids and my husband has four kids. So we've definitely been through the pain on all, all the millennial pain on, on colleges. Um, and it's just striking, but p- obviously part of that is once the government was like, Hey, we're going to do this, you know, we're going to allow you to take out this much debt. We're going to back this debt. Then the colleges like, just, you know, felt free to, to jack up that price. And so I think that that's, I think that from my perspective, I think this is a lift to people who felt like they kind of got trapped. Like I have to have this degree, uh, but you know, the way that we've structured all this as a society, kind of just like not really taking it, uh, you know, taking it step by step. Now prices are so high. I have to take out this much debt, but now that debt counts against me. I, I think that from a psychological standpoint, it's reassuring to feel like people, you know, for people to feel like I'm not this is not all structured against me. I, I can't get ahead. I did a lending life edition back in, I want to say March or April. And I asked, Ella, I was like, hey, what do you think about the possibility that, you know, the, the president or, or Congress decides to cancel student debt? You know, and, and from my <laughs> maybe uh, simplistic point of view, you know, they're sales professionals. And if their potential clients have less debt, or, you know, a better DTI ratio, then they're more likely to get a deal done, which would benefit the LOs. And so I, you know, I wrote a Lending Life edition asking like, hey, what do you think about it? And, and kind of half expecting almost everybody to say, yeah, you know, less student debt, that would be a, a huge benefit to our prospective clients, to society at large. And, and actually the response I get was the complete opposite. And it was almost exclusively, hey, you knew what you were doing. You took out these loans. You need to pay them. I took out loans. I had to pay my loans. Why should you get a free pass when I had to, you know, sacrifice, you know, movie nights or dinners or vacations or whatever, and, and you don't have to. So there, there's very much a, a sense, at least from the people that I've spoken to about the issue in the industry, kind of the everyday rank and file people that um, they don't think it's actually you know, um, a larger benefit to society. And, and and so often, you know, the responses I heard were, when does it end? You know, like who else should have their mistake, if you want to call it that, forgiven or, you know, the debts that you take on um, just wiped away because, you know, it's depending on your viewpoint, good politics or not, right? So, you know, that that is definitely a sentiment that is out there. Now, I should say, like, these are mostly, um, you know, the responses I got were mostly from kind of boomers um, and, you know, their, their um, economic upbringings were a little bit different than that of even Gen X or, or millennials. And so, you know, there, there is definitely a generational uh, change in perspectives, at least from the people that I speak to, but um, it was not at all what I expected. I, I thought there would be a lot more positive uh, thinking regarding this. People feel very strongly on this issue. That's that's what I would say. I mean, looking at social, where you're like, wow, this this really brought out um, people feel very strongly on one side or the other. They feel like, yes, this is the right thing to do. Or to your point, people who 
maybe feel like they sacrificed, don't like it. But even some people who sacrificed are like, good, good for other people that were doing this, right? So it, it is. And, and I think one of the things I saw that, um, I agreed with was like, listen, if you went to, if you went to college in the seventies, when it basically costs the same as like, you know, uh, something at McDonald's, like you don't get to complain now about, about this whole thing. And, and I do think, um, I did not go in the seventies, but I do think that it's just, if you haven't lived through it in the last 10, 15 years, you just have no idea how out of control that cost has gotten. And, and you can see how I think in the end we'll have to see, but it seems like it will be a net good for homeownership. Even if it's like, to your point, it doesn't move the needle hugely, depending on how much debt you have. But when you think about rent costs that continue to go up, at least in this way, maybe this helps people save for that down payment uh, more. And of course, it helps their debt to income ratio. So we will have to see. We'll have to see. We'll keep be keeping an eye on this. And um, I mean, it is a, it is a, a good question, too. Where does it end, right? I mean, we're, we're in this inflationary period. There are people who are like, this is the last thing you should be doing right now when you're trying, you know, when the Fed's trying to cool down inflation is inject cash into the system. Um, you know, that's for that's for people at higher pay grade than, than I am. <laughs> Somebody with a, a better college degree. Maybe. <laughs> uh, potentially. Yes. Yes. Maybe maybe an economics degree. Oh, my gosh. So what else is happening in our industry? We've had uh, so much news. One of the things that really strikes me as I look at our homepage is just the, you know, people the, the emergence or the rise of HELOC feels like something that, you know, we can point to. It's not just a few companies. So kind of tell us who are, who are the latest, uh, you know, loan lenders who are who are looking to expand their HELOC product. Yeah. So if, if you just take a look at the, you know, the top 25 retail mortgage lenders in America, there's a very good chance that that many of them have already launched a HELOC product or are planning to launch one um, in the, or, or maybe something similar to a HELOC product, not necessarily a, a home equity line of credit, but perhaps a home improvement loan or a home equity loan, which you know, they're structured a little bit differently. Um, and so the, the latest to jump into this is on the wholesale side, and it's uh, it's UWM. And UWM has been one of the more active lenders out there just in terms of coming out with new products. And and they're, they've been very aggressive in, in really trying to boost their purchase origination volumes in general. And so I, I don't think it's a huge shock. Um, you know, and, and we've been looking into kind of the, the variety of different products that a lot of these companies are putting forward. And so you know, I, I think the home equity products are probably the most impactful in the short term because, you know, there's so much home equity out there right now, you know, and even even a, a year ago, you know, you compare the number from then to the number now, and, and it's just, it's it's such a huge victory for homeowners, but a lot of them are, are I don't want to use the word trapped, you know, but, but if you think about them as like golden handcuffs, you know, you have these mortgage rates in the twos. In a lot of cases, or low threes, you know, rates that you'll forever rates. You know, you probably it's not financially advisable to refi out of these to do, you know, some sort of cash out refi. And, and but they have all this equity, and they want to be able to tap it because you know people are struggling with inflation, or maybe maybe they're trying to pay off you know the, the rest of their student loan debt, right, or, or whatever. You know, people have expenses, and they have a lot of money tied up into their homes, and these mortgage lenders are desperate to find revenue. They, they need revenue. You know, a lot of them function only at a certain size anyway. And so the best way to get there is to offer some sort of a, a home equity product. And so UWM launched 
uh, products. We've heard Loan Depot, Rocket, Guaranteed Rate actually has um, a personal loan as well that you can use. Rocket does too. Um, I found that really interesting. And, you know, it, it almost reminds me of kind of like SoFi. You know, they, they were they were originally known as a student loan lender. Um, and then they, they really became known as sort of more of an all-purpose lender in general, you know, and maybe you want to finance your car through them or maybe you want to finance, you know, a personal loan, right? Like you get laid off, you come in hard times, you need to access money quickly and you don't want to touch your retirement funds or whatever. And so I, I think this is really going to represent kind of a trend line, which is one, a lot of these lenders, they're going to be launching products similar to this. Um, they're going to be looking for other ways to boost revenue when their bread and butter, you know, conventional mortgage loans are down and down pretty significantly. I don't think it's going to be a huge boost in the short term because so many of these companies, regardless of what they call themselves, you know, they are mortgage lenders and they're doing like 90 plus percent of their business through conventional FHA, VA, you know, like you rattle off the same, you know, names and, and, and they're all the same. There's just not a lot of variety when it comes to, you know, these mortgage lenders, like that's what they do and that's fine. That's okay. Um, but it also means like consumers are going to be a little bit behind and short term, I don't think it's going to make a big difference for a lot of them. But if you think about the trend line, if you think about the larger, um, you know, kind of more consequential, um, you know, decision that goes into this. I think it's very plausible to think of a rocket as much more than just a mortgage lender. And now they've been saying that for a long time, right? You know, they, they call themselves rocket companies, you know, they have auto, they have, they have solar now, they have personal loans, they have, you know, all kinds of different lending products. And they really want to be thought of as more than just a mortgage lender. Um, and I think that's going to be the norm among a lot of these big non-banks um, that are getting into kind of personal finance and, and different spaces because it's it's too limiting. It's too, maybe not risky. You know, these are companies that have survived many cycles, but, you know, you're, you're really, you're only as strong as, as, you know, kind of the market that you work in. Like nobody's doing great right now, right? You know, and that's not because, you know, some are really smart and some are really dumb. It's just, you know, the, the market is, um, is cyclical and this is a way to kind of hedge bets right? It's a way to diversify. It's a way to fight better tomorrow, even if today you're still going to take your lumps. Uh, so it's it's exciting. It's great for the consumer too. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing that there are a lot more consumers out there that will have options beyond going to their local bank um, or going to SoFi if they have to get a personal loan or, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing that there's more credit available beyond just, you know, a very specific 30-year vanilla mortgage. Well, and, and that's the, you know, we've talked about this before. This is the environment that led to, you know, so many of the big bank, banks pulling back from mortgage lending. It just wasn't profitable. It was a huge compliance risk. So, you know, yes, they 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 did some lending. They still do some lending. But, you know, you had the rise of, of these uh, mortgage lenders because, you know, the other ones are just like, oh, we don't, it's not profitable. Let's, let's, let's focus on something else. Well, well, now you have the, you know, the IMBs. We, we reported last week that the average IMB lost $82 on each loan in Q2, right? That was the Mortgage Bankers Association report. And so again, cost to originate really high, no volume, 
very little volume. So, uh, you know, it makes sense to me that they're, they're looking to diversify makes all the sense in the world. I think the one thing to look at for though, Sarah, and, and I, I'm pleased that a lot of these companies are, are thinking about diversifying their product mix and, and really, um, you know, being brave and, and really looking to, uh, you know, plans B and C sometimes. Um, but we, we should remember that almost all, I think with maybe one or two exceptions out there, they have all laid off a huge number of staffers. They have cut processors, they have cut funders, they've cut closers, they've cut underwriters, they've cut a lot of people out there. And then now if you're, if you're jumping into some of these products, now you're looking at like unsecured, you know, um, you know, loans and you're asking um, staffers who are probably not very familiar with a lot of these products to make it work and to, to do it seamlessly. And, you know, you probably only get one bite at the apple for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these prospective borrowers on some of these products. And so you really have to impress them and you have to be smart and you have to be, communicative. And I think it's a risk if you have staffers who just don't know how to do it. And there are not enough of them. You know, if, if you're uh, training uh, people to work on HELOCs when they've never worked on HELOCs, or you're training staffers to work on personal loans when they've never worked on them, or, you know, suddenly you're, you're banking a lot more on, um, you know, alternate financing for, you know, different needs. Um, it's, it's, there are downsides. There could be downsides. There could be downsides. It is a it is a really good point. Anytime you have people doing loans who don't have a, a great familiarity with that, there is a risk. And you know, we know that our lenders, the lenders that we um, write about, talk to all the time in this industry, they're very aware of those risks. You know, but they they have to balance the fact that they gotta gotta make some money too, right? Like, I mean, th- th- we're not in this for for charity. I did want to bring up a. Um, a story you wrote this week. Um, you wrote up the Fannie Mae's forecast, their revised forecast. And, you know, the, the title, the headline for this one is Fannie Mae sees dark days ahead for the housing market. And I thought that was a really good way to conceptualize exactly what it is that we're looking for in the last, in, in the last part of this year. So maybe you could run us through what that revised forecast looks like. Yeah, my I don't have it in front of me, Sarah, but my recollection was, so they're their economic and strategic research group, you know, they, they come out with these projections uh, very regularly and um, <laughs> they're always subject to change, right? Because uh, the markets move quickly. And, and especially these days when, when we've just seen so much volatility and, and the rates of inflation being what they are. Um, but, you know, housing is, is definitely on the down. And, um, and that's been true for the last few months. But, you know, Fannie Mae's group of researchers, they expected home sales to drop. Uh, I think it was a total of like 16.2% in 2022, and that was down from 15.5% uh, from last month. And so, you know, that's significant. And and it also means that in turn, total mortgage origination volume would drop from, I think it would be a projected $2.47 trillion in uh 2022 right. down down to uh 2.29 trillion in 2023 which you know i mean that's not that's not terrible except that when you look at you know 20 uh in 2021 we had 4.47 trillion so so that's why the that's where the pain comes in right is the difference between those two numbers in such a short amount of time the difference in volume is just you know it's a whiplash for for everyone in this industry yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about it like an elastic band, you know, s- some of them will bounce back, but some of them will snap. 
And so it's, um, it's, it's just, it's such a dramatic change so quickly that it, it's really difficult for even the best grown organizations to handle that kind of, you know, change. And, and that's true of, you know, mortgage companies as well as real estate and title and appraisal. You know, you talk to an appraiser these days and, and the slowdown affects them tremendously. You know, there are a lot of them now are, are very much volume focused and it's hard to be volume focused when, you know, you have half as many sales. Um, so it, it affects the whole ecosystem. And, and so, you know, when I say dark days, I mean, this is a relative term, you know, this is kind of forming what people believe to be a more normalized market. You know, the last two years were really kind of the, the extreme outliers in activity and in, in refi volume and purchase and, and you know, migratory trends are, are probably more extreme than, than they would be otherwise you know, driven by the pandemic. But, um, you know, you, you can't just go from, from the, the absolute insanity of 2020 and 2021 to, not a depression, but certainly a recessionary condition. Um, and in some markets, it's a lot worse than others. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's going to force some companies to shut down. We're already seeing a lot of consolidation. We're starting to hear a little bit more M&A activity. You know, we, we already know that there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of processors and closers and, you know, people in operation staff and in mortgage that are out looking for a job. Um, it's, it's going to be a really tough road to get to a much more normal environment for the mortgage industry, for sure. Um, you know, and this affects Fannie Mae as well, you know, they've, they've done a lot better over the last few years, um, Freddie Mac as well. Um, I, I don't think anyone thinks that there is, there's some sort of, you know, systemic risk, <laughs> you know, where, where Fannie Mae would be on the brink again or anything like that. Um, they're, they're just a lot better managed in terms of the risk and downside now because they're, you know, the credit profile was just, it's, it's not a credit issue at this point. Right. And so it's, it's something to monitor. I, I think it's going to be okay in the next two years. Um, and, you know, the economists that I talked to feel similarly that we're going to bounce back, but, but I don't think we're going to see another extreme like 2020 and 2021, um, anytime soon. It was, it was so much, you know, kind of a perfect storm of different conditions all coalescing. And, you know, that's, it was always going to be a down, but I also don't think a lot of people thought it would be this big of a down so quickly either. I agree with you. And, you know, projecting that their projections into 2023 are probably, you know, the, the, um, saddest part of that whole uh, revision and, and kind of what they see coming because, you know, I mean, it's not like, oh, okay, we just get through this year and next year is going to be fine. It's like, ah, uh, next year looks like a lot of the same of this year. You know what I mean? It just is. So we'll see, maybe we'll have more inventory come back online. We'll see what rates do. We definitely have some of those things um, that got so extreme this year, just because of those external forces, like, you know, Russians invasion of Ukraine and, and some other things happening that maybe we'll, um, will change in the next six months or so. Um, you mentioned consolidation M&A. We just reported on the fact that, um, you know, we have movement mortgage uh, acquiring a brokerage superior rate. And, you know, we expect to see more of that just as we go, right? You have bigger players looking for, this is their opportunity to grow their market share by, by uh, swallowing up some of the smaller ones. So that's something that we're always looking at as well. Yeah, I, I think that's, 
yes, it, this is a tough time, but if you're opportunistic, there are definitely going to be smaller fish out there that you can swallow. And, and all, I think a lot of them are going to be very happy for a relatively soft landing, you know, getting, getting scooped up. And in, in this case, uh, you know, movement. So they're, they're based in the Carolinas and, and, uh, you know, big distributed retail lender. I think they're the 12th biggest retail lender in the country these days. Um, and, and they're, you know, very purchase focused and they have been for a while. And so, you know, the, they're down from where they were last year, but they're not down as much as a lot of their peers. And so they look at, at, uh, you know, mid-sized organizations that they can integrate into their kind of distributed retail model and, and really develop a better, um, you know, presence in, in some key markets. And so in this case, they picked up a brokerage that's headquartered around the Boston area and, and they really want to, you know, New England's been a really stable housing market for a long time, you know, centuries <laughs> in some ways. Right? And, uh, you know, it's, it's for America, like it's so old, um, but there's money there, you know, it's, it's, you're not seeing, it's not like, you know, you're in Boise and, and there's a 40% dip from, you know, the peak, right? Like you're not seeing these extremes, like things just keep kind of humming along. And, and some of the most active markets in the country, you know, in terms of well-capitalized buyers and, and sellers that are, you know, getting deals done quickly is in that New England area. And so, you know, I think it's a really smart deal. To, I don't know the, you know, I, I don't need the particulars of the deal, how the finances worked out, um, but but they're picking up probably about 400 million a year in sales volume right there. You know, and um, and they they have had a presence in New England, but it's it's going to get bigger and uh, more competition. And so you're you're seeing this across the board. You know, I, I think you're going to see companies like Guild. You're going to see Cross Country. You're going to see probably Guaranteed Rate and some others that are going to be looking at the landscape and saying, you know what, we can we can really um, be a bigger player for not as much money as it would have cost a year ago or two years ago in, say, the Mountain West or the Southwest or, you know, the Sun Belt in general or, I don't know, the West Coast, wherever. So it's um, it's it's also kind of an exciting time we're seeing just a, a lot of change. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the trends that is affecting all, all sorts of businesses and definitely um, the kind of industry that we're in when you think about everything from real estate, brokerages, lenders, title appraisal is that you have people who just went through some of the the two best years of their life and they might be older they might be looking at retirement and so you know if people have called it uh, different things the great reshuffling or whatever it is where it's like you have you have boomer boomers looking to be like listen I don't need to go through another downturn uh, let me take my money and go home and and so either they're getting bought out or they're just you know if there's if there's not appetite for that shutting down and so market share is going to get shifted around a little bit and we already know this is especially in the mortgage it's so distributed it the people who have the biggest market share is still yep. it, it's not like wow they have like 30 percent yeah right yeah. It, it's still there's lots of room there so you wonder how market share changes after this time when when you have some people who are just you know gonna take their marbles and go home they're ready to be on to the next part of their life yeah if i'm 65 years old and i just made eight million dollars ten million dollars from 2020 and 2021 and and some of them made even more than that you know if if, if I'm that age and I run a mortgage company and I look at what I need to do now and the sleepless nights and, and a lot of them, I mean, I, I don't think there are a lot of people out there who enjoy laying off, you know, huge right. numbers of people 
or cutting to the bone in operations or, you know, changing out all the relationships they have with vendors just to save, to get in, in the black. You know, I, I don't think they, that there are definitely a few psychos out there who probably see this as an opportunity to, you know, to really uh, let their <laughs> let their free flag fly. Um, but I think the vast majority of, of owner operators out there don't enjoy this. And, um, and if someone else comes along and says, Hey, we'll give you like 5 million or 10 million. And, uh, you know, you, you stay on for a year or two, three years, whatever it is as an advisor, or, you know, you, you, you make sure that the integration is relatively smooth and then you buy a house in Cabo, right? You, you go to Costa Rica, wherever. Um, I think that's a really appealing option for a lot of them. And, and we're going to see that, you know, I think it's going to pick up a lot in the next two quarters. And, you know, uh, you really see that in all the uh, ancillary services, if you want to call them that too. So title and title and settlement, appraisal, um, all, all sorts of things going on where it's like, you know, they they just, uh, I think that's even more distributed than the than the lenders. So really going to yeah, be you, interesting you to see. If you're a 10-person title shop and you're in your early 70s, like a lot of them are, you're, you're looking for the exits, I think. Or, right. or you, you hope that you have a kid who wants to inherit it, you know, or, or something. But yeah, it's 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 definitely it's time for a lot of folks, appraisers, especially, you know, these are title and appraisal are, are older demographically. And so you know, and they get they get hit really hard, um, you know, in, in markets like this. Well, James, thanks so much for being on today. Always interesting to talk to you and see sort of the the breadth of coverage that we're doing on HousingWire, on Real Trends, on Reverse Mortgage Daily. We so appreciate you being on and we look forward to more coverage coming out of your newsrooms. Thanks very much, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.